We have a special video for the Magnifying Glass podcast listeners today on an upcoming South Carolina primary. We will cover a sample ballot that you will be seeing if you decide to vote in the Republican primary before or on February 24th this upcoming Saturday, which we strongly encourage you to go out and do. Besides the highly publicized presidential primary, there are three questions on the ballot from the state GOP that could have big implications in the upcoming legislative sessions. So we want to break them down, give you guys some information before you get hit with the ballot on Saturday or before that. So when you pull up the sample ballot, and we will have this on the screen for our video watchers, but if you are on audio, we will also be reading it out loud as well. The first one you see when it comes up is your sample ballot. If you choose the Republican ballot, this is what you will be looking at. You have Ryan Binkley up for president. You've got all the Republican presidential nominees. You've also got Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, David Stuttenberg, and the final option on the ballot is Donald J. Trump. Now, why are all of these names still on the ballot, even though many of them have already pulled out of the race? Well, that is because you could only remove your name from the ballot from the South Carolina State Election Commission uh, by January 10th. So that's why you're seeing all of these names. It'll be really interesting to see if anybody ends up voting for any of the candidates that have already pulled out of the race. Do you think we're going to see a lot of that in South Carolina? Uh, I mean, probably not. It's, it's, it, again, it's you just have to be wanting to troll at that point. You're just going to go in and throw your vote away. So anybody that's going to take the time out of their day uh, to go and vote is probably going to do it for a good reason. And so I wouldn't really expect to see you know DeSantis or Vivek really pull any votes. And you know if they did, it doesn't really matter. It's just going to eat away at the margin for between the actual two candidates because it's really only two candidates running right now, and that's Haley and Trump. So we'll see. Uh, but I would be very surprised if you saw any. It is definitely going to be interesting to see how many voters Nikki Haley pulls because she has pretty much been non-existent in South Carolina up until two weeks before the primary voting day, uh, which is just happens to be when election uh, early voting started, thanks to a bill that was passed in 2022, extending our early voting here in South Carolina. Nikki Haley has been sending out flyers, I believe, that I've been kind of seeing around, uh, ask, uh, pull, trying to pull Democratic voters, uh, because there still is that um, a, a big presence of Democrats in South Carolina. And it's very interesting because I've been seeing a lot of them on social media, Democrats within South Carolina that are doing their own campaigns to get the Democrats out to vote for, for Nikki Haley. She's in Camden today, which is February 19th, a Monday. She's out there. I've heard that there were a lot of Democrat voters that showed up to yell Biden-Harris. So we'll see how that goes. We'll, uh, I know she wasn't really, her campaign wasn't really responding to anybody before February who either asked a representative to come and speak at their local meetings or something like that. But two weeks beforehand, of course, her team is all hands on deck for South Carolina. I mean, it's got to really hurt if you're Nikki Haley, right? Because the only group that you are ever able to resonate with are Democrats, and that's her whole strategy in New Hampshire, where she was before this, obviously. 
was trying to get all the Democrats out to support her. Uh, so, you know, if you have them showing up and then and then trashing you and, and, and I guess you could even say endorsing your competition by chanting Biden-Harris, it's really got to hurt because what, what, what other luck or chance did you really have in this race? Not much. Not much. And it's really embarrassing that it's your own state where you were a former governor. Mm-hmm. And the only people you really have pulling for you is Representative Ralph Norman, her first endorsement, who is a congressional seat in the upstate, and Representative Nathan Ballantyne from Columbia area, and Senator Tom Davis from Beaufort. Just about all other uh, Republican officials in South Carolina are on the Trump team. Well, I mean, they're politicians. They don't they don't want to be losers, you know. And so whether or not they like Trump, I think there's just kind of this realization that a lot of them have come to, which is, do I like it? Maybe, maybe not. Obviously, sure, some of them actually believe in, in the message of, you know, America first and make America great again. But I have to be honest, I think a lot of them are more there because they want to be associated with winners and they see the value in maybe getting Trump's endorsement for future races. And so there's a lot of like self-interest at play here as well. Those are your options. It'll be interesting to see. I will definitely tell you from what I've seen, there is a, a lot of a lot of Trump supporters in South Carolina. So we'll see how it goes. Moving on to the advisory questions. Now, these are really fun. Because they are chosen from uh, by the South Carolina GOP party. So what you're seeing when they ask questions like this, they're asking questions to see what legislation they should be advocating for during legislative season. So it's really interesting to see kind of where their heads are at. We saw similar questions to these in the midterm primaries of 2022. Except these are just worded. All of them are worded very terribly. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. They're extremely confusing. They are worded terribly. I don't know who decided to word it the way they did, but whoever does needs to be fired or really needs to uh, rethink their life choices because it looks like a a five-year-old politician well, put it together. It, it, no, no. It looks like government wrote it, right? And, yeah. I, and, and, and what I mean by that is government is not known to be efficient. Government is not known to be particularly friendly to people who want to get problems solved. And so if you come at it from that perspective, well, obviously, you know, this kind of checks out because it's, it's, it's government work. Yeah. Unfortunately. So the first question that they ask you that, and these are all yes or no questions. The first question is, should South Carolina law be changed to give people the right to register to vote with the political party of their choice. My first reaction right off the bat, if you're just saying, oh, should, who should you be allowed to vote for? Well, of course you're going to say anyone. But what is that really targeted at? This is a question specifically targeted at, towards whether or not South Carolina should keep open primaries or if they should enact closed primaries. And that pretty much means if you are a registered Republican, you can only vote for Republicans. If you're a registered Democrat, you can only vote for Democrats. And then obviously you've got the independents there as well. I I, I think of the three, just a little mm -hmm. little bit of a teaser. I think of the three, this is the one that is not going to have as big of an effect either way 
depending on yeah. which way it goes. I think that's pretty clear from the from the get go. And, and again, you I mean you can make an argument for both sides here. It, right. it really comes down to what you kind of value as a voter within your system. You know, you saw in New Hampshire for the presidential primary, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of people hopping over uh, party lines to vote. And, and again, I'm kind of I kind of, kind of like you. I can I can make an argument for both sides. Um, right. So. Not, I don't feel super strongly one way or the other about this one. Right. And I mean, the really, if to boil down both the arguments, you see if you live in a super Democratic county, only people can run as Democrats and get elected. So uh, there's a lot of people in, Demo- a lot of Republicans or people who consider themselves Republicans who are living in Democrat counties who want to vote for their constitutional sheriff but are now having to choose whether or not they want to stay involved in the GOP party because the GOP decided to change the law. If you want to be hold a position in the GOP on the County or the state level, you have to have voted in two of the last three Republican primaries. So a lot of people are having to rethink what they're going to do with that. If we go into a closed primary, and even if we don't go into a closed primary, they're still having to do that because the SCGOP decided to go ahead and make a, super stringent rule such as that one. So it'll be interesting to see the results that come from this if people are paying attention to what they're reading and really what their feelings are on the matter. Now, if we go to the next one, this has to do, I'll go ahead and let everybody know as I'm reading this so you can know this is about judicial reform. Judicial reform has been a big deal in South Carolina, especially since the Murdoch case. Um, there has been a lot of analysis and a hyper-focus on how South Carolina chooses their judges. Currently, it is set up with a judicial selection or judicial merit selection committee. It's called the JMSC. It is made up of legislators in South Carolina that vote for their nominee for a judge. And a lot of the people made up on the JMSC are lawyer legislators. So they're people that they are uh, potential judges that they will be arguing in front of. So the question that they have worded on the ballot is, should South Carolina adopt reforms to increase the independence and accountability of judiciary by improving transparency and reducing conflicts of interest in the process of reviewing judicial qualifications and electing judges? So right now, since this has been such a big issue, a lot of elected officials in South Carolina, including our governor, the attorney general, and numerous establishment legislators have been calling for a change in, since they've been receiving so much pressure pressure to change the um, judicial makeup, now they're wanting to make it an appointment by the governor. So that would be taking it from a pool of legislators into just being appointed by the governor. This question is looking a little bit more of, it sounds like, into the electing piece of it all, which personally, I prefer elections over, you know, one person deciding and, uh, and appointing everything, since they're going to be making the decisions based on the people that elected them. But it, it is very interesting. There's a couple points here that are, that are kind of worth talking about. First of all, the idea of like reducing conflict of interest kind of goes back to what mm-hmm. you were saying about if if as long as the review process is headed up by the people who would be potentially arguing in front of the people that they're selecting, that's where you get the conflict of interest that they're talking about removing. 
And so I would assume that you would either decrease the amount of lawyers that uh, lawyer legislators right. that are on the board, or you would find some way of counterbalancing it so that there's not this this conflict that people are talking about. The other thing that is, I tend to agree with you that elections are generally going to be better. The argument against that, just to play devil's advocate here for a second, mm-hmm. is that it's really easy, and you've seen this in every state, basically, including states like Florida, where you can have outside powers and money come in and basically just pull a race because these right. races are not generally particularly competitive in the sense that you're not going to see a lot of fundraising from from judges that are running. And so if somebody like George Soros comes in and drops a million or $2 million into a race, that has a huge impact. And so as long as these seats are electable and not appointed by a governor, for example— Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have the risk, I guess you could say, of you know big money coming in and basically just taking this seat, which could always end up being worse than if it was appointed. And so, again, I tend to agree. It's easier to have that direct accountability as long as mm-hmm. you're guarding against that potential corruption of somebody coming in and, and, and just basically buying the seat for somebody that they want in power. And, and that can happen. That can happen in South Carolina. That can happen in Florida. That can happen in Texas. It doesn't just happen in blue states or purple states. So, again, that's something to be aware of. And as long as you're going to advocate for the election system, you need to be very cognizant of that and you need to defend against that. And it means you need to be involved in these races. Once these judges come up for election, you need to make sure that you're doing your part and getting good people elected. So, I mean, that's all I'll say on that. Yeah. I think that's a great way to summarize the whole thing. So if we look at the final question that is on the ballot, let's just go ahead and read it and then we'll explain it a little bit. So you you need to listen really closely to these questions because of the way they are worded. So this final question says, should it be an immediate legislative priority to protect South Carolina's competitiveness and small businesses by changing state law so that a person's responsibility for financial damages in a lawsuit is based on a person's actual shared share of responsibility. So if somebody's in a lawsuit, the person's responsibility for the financial damages is based on a person's actual share of that responsibility. So you say, Elena, why is this even a question on the ballot? Well, it's because insurance liability for liquor licensees have skyrocketed over the past few years. Between cases like the boat crash involving the Murdaws back in, I believe it was 2019, there has also been several other accidents in South Carolina that have ended up in a death resulting in a lawsuit and the people that are found liable for the death, it's usually a drunk driver or someone that's drunk driving, almost always. Whoever sold them the alcohol is the person who has been found fault many times in these lawsuits in South Carolina. So we have seen a huge exodus of insurance companies who say, you know, we're going to get sued out the wazoo. I know with the um, the gas station, there were uh, in the Murdoch case with the boat crash, 
there was a gas station that sold a pack of beer or something like that to one of the Murdaugh boys. And then they stopped at a small bar on the river right before the boat happened. And they had a shot or two there. So there were two people, two different people that they had purchased alcohol from that night, just a few hours before the crash. And it was found. And I can't remember if this is exactly what it said, but I believe the gas station was, uh, had to pay like $35 million or something like that to the family um, of the victim who, uh, who died in that boat crash. We've seen that in multiple other cases. So what has been happening, the insurance companies are fleeing the ones that are staying in South Carolina because it's the insurance companies that are having to pay a lot of this. I mean, it's $35 million for a gas station. So the ones that uh, the insurance companies that are staying in South Carolina, they, they are skyrocketing their, um, insurance liability. So if you want to sell alcohol in South Carolina, it hasn't even tripled. I mean, it has gone through the roof. I know representative Jay Kilmartin has two businesses. One of the businesses that he has is a cigar company in Columbia. They sell a, a few beers like in a fridge on the side. And of course they have to have a, a liquor license to do that with. In December, Palmetto State Watch reported the full video of the statement he released handing in his liquor license saying that they can't afford it anymore because they went from paying around $3,000 a year to the lowest quote they received for a year from their insurance company was over 28000 That's a ton of money. So you've got companies, you've got venues, you've got bars, you've got small businesses, really anyone that is involved around the selling of liquor is having to either go underwater, completely close their business. And and that is happening a lot right now, or they're having to, um, you know, eat the cost and pray they make it back at the end of the year. So, uh, South Carolina venue crisis has started up. It's full of a, um, it's made up of many musicians, venue places, small business owners that are trying to fight for legislation such as this, uh, to really kind of break out the damages a little bit more. Um, because, if this continues, you're not really going to have any outside places to go to like a venue um, to listen to music or other places like that. Or if you do, it's just going to be there's going to be like no bars or anything like that associated right. with it, um, which I know a lot of people would be disappointed by. It's just kind of like a weird thing that you have to go through. And, and again, I'm, I'm kind of from a different perspective on this because in Florida, the law is very, very different. And the only way that a venue or um, a, a seller, I guess you could say, of, of, of alcohol can be held responsible for mm-hmm. damages or injury caused uh, from a, a, like a DUI, for example, is if the person that they sold it to is underage or has like a known documented drinking problem. I don't really know what that looks like. They don't specify it in the law. But outside of those two very specific conditions, you know, you're, you're not – you can't hold the person who sold the alcohol responsible for what the person who they sold it to did because of that alcohol. So to me, obviously you would want to, to reform this. This seems like a very overbearing law, something that has a lot of damages to the local businesses, to the local economy. Obviously, you know, if you're going to come in and you're a gigantic food chain or you're a giant restaurant chain or anything like that, 
this isn't going to be a problem for you. So you're not going to actually stop the sale of alcohol or anything like that within South Carolina with this law. You're The only thing it's going to accomplish is putting out of business the small businesses, the ones who don't have huge, you know, budgets where where they can just afford to pay $28,000, $50,000 a year uh, for a liquor license. And so I think that this this one is, is an easy yes uh, for me yeah. because – you know what? What is happening right now is completely unjust. And again, I am not sure on where the legality, where, where this is coming from, where the motivation is coming from for for this law mm-hmm. to be in place as it is right now, as it currently stands. But it, oh well, I've got a little something to tell you about that one. But it sounds a lot like a very massive lobbying effort. Because again, mm-hmm. as I said, this is basically the result of this is a monopolization of the industry is only the giant corporations. The same thing with COVID. It's just basically a continuation of COVID where you saw all these small businesses weren't able to deal with it because they didn't have the cash on hand. They didn't have the cash reserves necessary to float their business through it. And so the only people that were left in the end were the mega corporations. And if you, I mean, obviously I don't think anybody really wants that to happen outside of the lobbyists and obviously the legislators that are benefiting from the tens of thousands of dollars that they're getting donated to them by these companies. But you, this should be an easy yes, I think, for everybody. Right. And for instance, one of the people that is a very big fan of this, and I would think is one of the biggest pushers of having small businesses such as this one go under with their liquor licensees, is Senator Dick Harputlian, who just happened to be Alec Murdaugh's defense lawyer, a huge Democrat lawyer in South Carolina. I mean, the amount of power he has is crazy. Part of his district is Lexington, Richland counties, and specifically Five Points. Five Points, he has been working on pretty much gutting for the past few years because he doesn't like the dive bars and the small businesses that are in there, and he wants to replace them with nicer businesses. So it's turning around. It it has put a lot of generational business owners in that area have gone underwater, have had to sell their locations because he is doing something similar in that area to the point to where I believe it was last week in Senate committee, this issue came up and he said this. Or better yet, y'all write the million dollar check and move on. Um, So I'm not interested in adjusting our liquor liability laws. I'm interested in making sure the insurance companies differentiate between uh, a dive bar that's serving $1 shots and a restaurant that's serving food with alcohol. And that's not happening. That's not happening. And, and I commend that interest. I think that is very valid. So the dive bar gets put out of business because they can't afford the insurance. And the restaurant's rates go down. Um, I mean, it seems to me that's the perfect solution without having to 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 deal with what you call the perfect storm. So that's just one of many legislators and elected officials in the state of South Carolina that is not sorry that this is happening and is most likely an architect behind this issue. Uh, but I find it hilarious that not only has he been involved in this with five points and in his district, but he has also been the lawyer for uh, the Murdaws that have really kind of pushed this issue even um, over the cliff uh, to where it is impossible to almost have a liquor license at this point. 
So of course, we are not telling you how to vote with these questions. We just wanted to give you a little context before you may have been blindsided or just needed some more information before you go into vote, if you're going into vote now, or if you are waiting until Saturday on February 24th. Either way, we highly recommend that you get out and vote, make your voice heard, let them know what you think and who you want in office and what type of legislation that you want prioritized in the state of South Carolina. So if you enjoyed this, please like, share, and comment this video. If you have other friends that need to know about this or family members, feel free to send it their way as well.